0: Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. We are from South Mountain Community Church, a multi site church with five locations in Utah. Each week, we will be hearing from our lead pastor, Paul Roby, and others as we explore what it means to be fully delighted in God and how we help as many people as possible experience this at SMCC. This is the Fully Delighted Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. So glad that you could join us. My name is Adam, and I serve as the Campus Support Team Director here at South Mountain Community Church. And with me today, as usual, not as always, but as usual, uh, we've got Eric Nelson, our Pastor of Ministry and Teaching. Eric, how are you doing? Hey, doing good, Adam. Um, Really excited to be here. First podcast of
2: 2021. We're continuing in Season 3 with uh, stories of people who have experienced life change uh, at or around or through uh, SMCC mm-hmm. and today on the show we have another Adam, Adam yes. Thompson Adam thanks for being here dude
0: super excited and and wildly nervous about yeah. this, so. <laughs> oh, I hear man. you're a big fan of the show I'm a
2: huge fan of this show wow <laughs> I'm just so nervous to even be in the room with you. <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> you can find Adam uh playing playing drums or guitar here at our Draper location and, and here around this this campus um, Adam, I've known about you for many years. You know, kind of passed you in the halls, and mm-hmm. you're friends with my friends and stuff. And you know, been around you at a party here or there. But really sure. excited to hear more of your story today because um, there's a lot to it. Now, yes. listeners, uh, a couple of things we want you to know this this story is going to be a two part episode because um, there's so much that we want you to hear from Adam's story. So this will be part one. Um, be about a normal length, and then tune in next week for part two. And then one more thing before we get in um, to Adam's story is uh, Adam's going to dive into some stuff that we haven't talked about in this show, things like uh, substance abuse, uh, suicide, and, and depression. And so if those topics are sensitive topics to you or to anybody else you're listening with, we just want you to have the heads up ahead of time before we dive in. So just a quick little... Disclaimer there. Um,
1: but having said that, Adam Jones, who's our host, anything else before we jump in? Yeah, I just always want to remind people, um, I think sometimes they hear this over and over again and it becomes repetitive. Um, especially if you are a listener, even if you're not a listener on Apple Podcasts, one of the most helpful things you can do is leave us a review. Um, because then that helps uh, when people are searching for things like this, uh, to, for it to pop up easier in the search results. Or even something even simpler is if you just think that you simply have a friend that might like listening to this, sharing the podcast with that person over text over email is helpful as well and so those are two ways that if you like this podcast and you saying, "Hey, i just like for more people to hear this stuff mm-hmm. those are two easy free ways to do that um and so we really do appreciate when people do that and know a lot of you are doing that so thank you for that yeah and one other
2: thing you know in season three people are sharing their stories and we always like to remind our listeners that uh, we didn't script this we're not putting words into people's mouths these are the real and raw stories of people here in Utah that uh, that we love, and uh, man, we're just so impressed with these stories. The, the courage it takes to come onto the show and share some of this is uh, I'm always so encouraged and impressed by, so um, I'm really looking forward to this two-part episode. <laughs> Adam Thompson, you ready to dive in, man? Yes, I am. Before before we started recording, Adam and I were talking about some of our favorite bands growing up. We grew up on the same stuff, yes, the, uh, the good old Screamo music.
0: Yes, although I think there would be people who would be mad at you for calling a scream
2: <laughs> What do you call it? <laughs> oh, heavy music. Heavy, yeah. scream <laughs> for for like, kids in high school with painted right. nails. We're adults now. <laughs> right. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but it's, we... been, it's been at least a year since I've done it. I played in bands in high school, and it was cool to put eyeliner on. Uh, and oh, yeah. You, oh, wow. you know that vibe? Oh, yeah. I did that. I wore girl pants. Yeah. Because, yeah. Girl. Well, they didn't make tight guys' they pants back in the day. So you had to wear girl pants. Now Man. they do. You and I are like brothers, man. Did you ever have your ear pierced, though?
1: Did I have my ears pierced? I had one ear pierced. You had one ear pierced? (laughs) (laughs) crazy as it sounds.
2: I had had gauged ears. If anybody looks closely, I could still put a pencil through my ears. I I had uh, lip piercings
0: on both sides. Well, you can't see
2: it, listeners, but uh, he has his nose pierced right now, too. I do, It's it's cool. Thank you. (laughs) All right, let's get to the real stuff, man. Mm -hmm. Adam, uh, we're just going to start. I don't know where you want to begin, but the question we like to start with is... uh, you grew up LDS? Yep. So i like to start there. What was it like growing up LDS? Where did you grow up, and what was your experience, man? Sure. Yeah, I grew up
0: uh, in Murray, Utah, mm-hmm. and um, both of my parents are Mormons, and so they, they raised me and my two older brothers in the Mormon church. And, you know, it's hard to say typical, but, you know, by all... If you were to look in at our family just from the outside, it would look like a pretty typical Mormon family. We went to church every Sunday. Um... <clears throat> I all I can really remember as a when I was young is that it was boring and I would have rather been at home playing video games or mm-hmm. something like that. But I also didn't really think that we were doing anything that was different, you know, growing up in Utah obviously there's a lot of Mormons here so that's what most people did or at least that was the perception. Was that what was, that was what most people did? Um but yeah, I could just I just remember being a boring thing that I had to do every Sunday, but I also thought that everybody on earth woke up on Sunday morning and put on a tie and did the same mm-hmm blindingly boring things that I did, and so I didn't think it was unique. Um, But it's interesting, I was was thinking about this a lot, but growing up in the Mormon church, you kind of, you have your future, you can see your future through the lives of, you know, the people that are older than you. So the people that are going to get baptized next, you know, you're like, well, I'm the guy that's going to do that next, you know, I'm going to do that thing, and then serving on missions, getting the priesthood, all that kind of stuff. And so there's maybe some comfort in that, that. You can kind of see exactly where it is. You see your trajectory through the lives of the people that are older than you. So for example, my brothers were getting baptized. I knew that that's ultimately what I would do. And then um, getting the priesthood when you turn, when, when a young man turns 12, they give them the Aaronic priesthood. And so I always sort of knew that I was going to take those steps, but it always was just like, a rite of passage type of thing.
2: Yeah. When you say ironic priesthood, for those who uh, don't know what that is, can you talk about what roles or responsibilities, duties come with that?
0: Sure. It's actually interesting you asked me that because my wife asked me the same question mm. and I don't actually know. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so, this, but this is what I, and I think that's interesting is because mm-hmm. I don't think I was really educated on what it is that this role I now have, uh-huh. what comes along so with you this. had it mm-hmm.
2: but you didn't know what it meant
0: right i didn't know i had no idea i just mm-hmm. thought it was okay i'm 12 yep and it's a big deal to those around me you know they think it's a big deal that i get this they're happy you did it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that i'm going to now i can essentially i can pass the sacrament okay you know, so it's so that's you know, part of the duty is you walk part, around and hand
2: out exactly the sacrament
0: so if you've been to a, an lds service yeah they they have pews there and the young man will come around and, and pass the trays of the elements down to mm-hmm. down the outs and stuff and so once you turn 12 you got the ironic priesthood you got to do that that mm-hmm. was essentially all it was for me was that i
2: got to do that and i okay. hated it actually <laughs> <laughs> didn't pass the time quicker i i remember growing up in church uh we went to an episcopal church for a season um, and I was what was called an acolyte as mm. a young boy, and so it's kind of this uh, similar, I guess. I mean, you facilitate some of the things in the service. Right. I remember, I remember wearing a white robe to my ankles and carrying a heavy book down the aisle for the mm. processional. And uh, I didn't really know why I was doing it, but I did know it made the time go by faster if I was doing something rather than watching other people do sure. something. Yeah. So, like, I didn't <laughs> mind it because it it went by faster. Right. Okay, yeah. so you jump, you're in the Aaronic priesthood at twelve. Yep. Then, then what? What's next? Well, to back up a little
0: bit, I got baptized when I was eight, um, and I was thinking about this a lot. Actually, in the past uh, year, this became relevant to me because um, the the amount of impact the Mormon Church still has on me today, um, I would have never known that twelve years later it would still impact me in such a way. And and my baptism actually came up recently, but. The baptism when I was eight wasn't really something I had anything to do with. Again, it was just one of those things that you did. If you turned eight years old, then you get baptized. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it wasn't something, you know, I don't feel like eight-year-olds are like synonymous with impenetrable discernment, you know, like they're not like this, you know, they haven't lived a lot of life, you know, they don't have enough uh, education and other things. And so if you were to have asked me when I was a kid why I was getting baptized, I would have been probably confused by the question. Mm -hmm. Would've been like, well, of course, that's mm-hmm. what you do when you turn eight. Um, but yeah, that's essentially what my whole life was based off of was doing the things that I knew that the people around me wanted me to do. Um, and there's a there's an attention seeking behavior there, or you can call it people pleasing too. It was just it made the people around me happy. But uh, yeah, so I, you know, get the ironic priesthood and I go through that whole process, and I didn't really have a problem with going to church other than it was boring, mm-hmm. you know, and because I didn't have much of an idea of there being an alternative, I just thought it was just this thing you did. Um, but yeah, growing up Mormon for, for my younger, from when I was younger, was was pretty normal. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had I have too much ugly to say about it, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when did you begin to think more deeply about all this, or... Or perhaps, what was even high school like? I mean, what happened after twelve? You get into go through middle school, go through high school. Are you going to seminary in the morning? I mean, are you thinking you're going to be a missionary, mm-hmm. go on a mission? Are you, um, or are you beginning to check out? Like, what was right. next?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was definitely going to do all of those things. Um, I went to seminary in high school and stuff like that. When I was about fourteen, my oldest brother stopped going to church, and that was kind of. So like what led me to start asking questions really starts there. Mm -hmm. So he, he stopped going, but he wasn't really the most active. um, And he was kind of doing some things. I think he was using drugs at the time um, and kind of doing things that, you know, no one really approved of. So he was kind of living a lifestyle that wasn't in line with Mormonism and that kind of stuff. And so when he left, I can remember the morning getting into the van with my parents and, and he wasn't in the car with us. So we were going to church and he wasn't, he wasn't in the car. And I remember not being super surprised, mm. but it was still kind of like a, huh, so you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can just not go, right? But there was also still a part of me that was invested in it, right? Uh, so we kept going, and um, my middle brother, he's just older than me, um, I wanted to be just like him in every way, because, you know, he was kind of the, uh, like a star pupil in the church. You know, he was um, he was really intelligent, really bright, he had a lot of potential, Um, A lot of people saw him as, you know, an influencer, I guess you could say. So he had a lot of influence with the other kids. Uh, And me especially. I wanted to be just like him. Um, And so what ended up happening was when I was a sophomore, he left the church. Kind of swiftly. It was kind of out of nowhere. We weren't anticipating that. But he actually ended up, he was dating a girl who went to a different school and... She attended South Mountain, so this was maybe twelve, thirteen years ago. No, it would have been fifteen years ago. So I would have been a lot younger. But uh, so she was attending South Mountain at the time, and this was two thousand six, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so he started going to church with her, and so she was educating him on you know Joseph Smith and a lot of these things that he had never really looked into. And it was pretty quick for him to make the decision to stop going to mm-hmm. to the Mormon church. Um, but, I mean, that was really the foundational shake that my family just couldn't handle, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, and I, I really judged him mm. a lot. There was this sense of he's ruining heaven mm. for us, you know, because mm. the <laughs> idea of eternal families and that kind of stuff, um, that he wouldn't be in the picture. Mm. And uh, I actually... So he and I are very close in age, and we were all on the swim team together. And all of our friends were Mormons and that kind of stuff. All of us were very close. And so when he left, there was almost this desire to intervene. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we you know I almost set up some kind of intervention where we were all going to get together and try to convince him of you know his sinful ways, mm-hmm. try to get him to bring him back. And that was, uh, it was I think I cringe when I think back on that because mm-hmm. I'm like, why you know that's really strange. I was only a kid, you know, and so was he, but, um, but, you know, we ended up not really doing much and I just sort of let it go. We got into a couple fights he and I did um, kind of in between that phase um, where I just didn't understand what he was doing. Um, I would, I would weep to my parents about it because I was just so sad that kind of this, this idol in my life of somebody I wanted to be just like Mm -hmm. was, was doing this thing. And, you know, there's, there's, there's this idea that if you leave the church, even if you don't think of the eternal consequences of it, you just think, you know, like, but this is what's true. Mm. How could you abandon what you know is true? And um, so that was really rough. Um, but I ended up just accepting it and accepting him. Um, but I, I remember I, I did a... There's there's a fast and testimony meeting once a month in the Mormon Church, and it's essentially where anybody can get up and share their testimony. And I had prepared to go up, and so I went up on stage, and, and I shared my testimony and ended it with, like, you know, I'll know that my brothers will will come back. And I got a very emotional response from people, you know, and that, that was kind of how I did things a lot as a kid. as I was really trying to get other people's attention, mm-hmm. and that was one way that I was kind of able to do that. But it was sincere. You know, I really wanted them to come back, and I felt alone. Um, And that actually, so because I felt so alone, it wasn't, just that I was the last one, you know, but all of my friends were like, you're the one that's going to make it. Mm. Like, you'll serve a mission. Like you'll get married in the temple. You'll do all of these things. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I am. I'm going to do it, you know, but that actually ended up being a lot of pressure. Mm. So there was a lot of pressure from my friends and my friends, parents, you know, they'd say the same thing. Like, you know, so sad to hear about your brothers but we know that you know you'll mm. you'll carry the torch for the thompson name and you'll mm. you'll be the one to, to you know to do all of the things and uh and i really believed that but it was it was horrifying and so i didn't really and i was you know i had been i i got i was introduced to pornography at a pretty young age i was maybe 11 years old mm. and so that was something that i was engaging with at the time as well um, and then when i was a senior um i started smoking marijuana, going to parties, and, you know, doing dumb teenager stuff. Uh, and I was also dating a girl, and she and I were engaging in premarital sex together. And so there was all these things I was doing. And So I think that the, the pressure that I felt to be the the one that made it mm. was a lot, and I kind of found this subculture where I could kind of escape. Mm. Um, a lot of that was with marijuana and, and, and drinking and partying and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I would be I'd have all my friends and my friends' family members being like, you're the one that's going to make it, all the while I'm doing all this stuff. And so I felt like a total fraud, you know, because there's no way I can do it. Look at all this stuff that I'm doing. You know, whatever sense of I'm going to end up in hell, you know, outer darkness, or I'm not going to be able to achieve
2: what needs what I need to achieve, like I just knew I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, so all this, and, and a lot of what you're talking about, you know, I have in my past and my story, but I didn't have the religious pressure component that you have. So, you know, are you feeling a sense of guilt and shame immensely? you got this pressure. You're trying to hide it. I mean, you live in that. Uh, you know, people talk about the space that I was in. But you live with that experience long enough, the fraud, the guilt, the shame, the mm-hmm. pressure, the performance. That can do something deep inside of your soul, yeah. right? Man, and were you feeling that? Like, this is getting dark. This I, I can't yeah. continue to do this. Okay, yeah, man. So then what
0: happens? Well, I, um, I have a history of anxiety and depression. Uh, it's been a problem I've had for a long time. Um, and so not only was I feeling like I was this huge fraud, but I felt all this pressure, and, um, you know, that kind of broke me, you know? Um, essentially, I one one morning before church. My brothers had both left, and it was just my mom and my dad and myself, and uh, I woke up, I don't know why I woke up so early, but I got up early and I went into my, we have a bathroom in our basement, my parents' home. And I just took a handful of sleeping pills mm. and, m- and knowing that something bad is about to happen and something bad will happen. um, I ended up, so we ended up going to church after that um, and had a very, very weird day. It's, I blacked out at one point. I don't really remember much of it. But my intention was, well, looking back on it, I think that my intention was it was a cry for help, 100%. Mm-hmm. Like I was struggling a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was freaking out. My parents to this day, I, I asked them about this event, and they don't remember it. So it's very strange because from my experience, I remember going into one of my classes, and then out of nowhere, I was like, I need to use the bathroom. I wasn't feeling well, so I asked my teacher if I could get up and use the bathroom, and he said, sure. And my legs didn't work like I couldn't stand up, mm-hmm. like my whole body was just kind of shutting down. Um, and so the next, the rest of the day, all I can remember is just little snapshots where I'm wandering the halls mm-hmm. of my local ward and nobody's around and, you know, just like little glimpses. And then the next thing I know, I'm in my parents' classroom and I'm asking them if we can go home because I don't feel well. And the next thing I know, we're in the car driving home. And then I'm, you know, it just can came in and out of consciousness for the rest of the day. Um but yeah, that that was a result of just this this immense amount of pressure that I felt, and how far it can go mm-hmm. if I'm not really able to talk about it. You know, a, I was a young, so I, I was young, so I wasn't really handling things in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting for the bad thing I I wanted to happen to actually start happening, where it was like I could die. You know, it was one of those mm-hmm. things. I actually called my dad and asked him about that, and he said that he was where he asked me where I got the pills. And I was like, it was in the, the basement downstairs. And he was like, that would have been Tylenol PM, which is a sleep aid, but it's not a sleeping pill. Mm. I took about nine or ten of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if they were actually sleeping pills, I probably would have at least been hospitalized. Mm. And so I kind of look back on that. And I just found that out a week ago because I was wow. kind of preparing this. So it was, I was really lucky. You know, I could, I could have ended up being really, really bad. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that that happened. And I never talked about it a long time. I didn't talk about it until I was in Celebrate Recovery, but I um, a few weeks later would have been my last day at church, one of my last times, because I ended up going to my bishop. Um, if It's it's simple, similar to, like, confessional, like, within Catholicism, where you kind of confess your sins. Um, now, it's not required because <laughs> you can get away with not doing it, but I, I felt so strongly about it that I decided I wanted to go talk to my bishop and, and tell him all about what I was doing. And so I scheduled a meeting with him and went into his office and I was explaining to him all these things I was doing, you know, the pornography, the marijuana, the drinking, the premarital sex, all these things. And, um, essentially he said that, you know, you know, you won't be able to partake in the sacrament anymore. You can't bless the sacrament anymore. You can't pass the sacrament, you know, anything involving sacrament, I'm not allowed to do. Um, And that my prospective LDS mission was kind of up for review, you know, pending my if I start to improve, you know, they'll kind of reevaluate that kind of stuff. It felt very strange. Um, And I can remember thinking like, you know, like what this is, you know, I'm not judging him necessarily, but what what's he got hidden away Mm. that he wouldn't that would make him not worthy of taking the sacrament, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it felt very weird, you know, that there was a human, a man was telling me that I wasn't worthy. Um, but I hadn't conceptualized a lot of that kind of stuff. And so instead of that, I just was like, well, he's right, you know, because there's this idea in Mormonism that, you know, the bishopric and that you're called by God to be in those positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of weight that goes along with that. But the following Sunday would have been my last because I ended up going and sitting in between my parents and, um, just, they were both just devastated. You know, this is their last child, um, and, you know, he's messing up. And uh, so I was sort of sandwiched between them, and as they were passing the sacrament around, you know, I had to just take it and pass it to, to, my, to whoever was sitting next to me. And in that moment, I remembered all the times I saw other people not take the sacrament, mm. and my thoughts. Now, these weren't things people told me, These are my own personal thoughts. When I saw somebody not take it, I would think, what's going on with them? You know, what are they doing that makes them not take it? And now I was that. You know, I did pass a little bit of judgment on them, and maybe it was concern in some way or whatever, but I just felt every single eye in that room was on me, and God was watching me. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like just this tsunami wave of shame that had just been, like, pulling back the tide for years was now just collapsing on top of me, and I just, I cried my eyes out, Mm -hmm. because I couldn't, I couldn't bear it, you know, sitting there in between my parents, and that was just awful. Um, But yeah, that's, that was my last Sunday, because I couldn't, I couldn't handle that anymore, and so I stopped going after that, but I didn't, I didn't make the decision to stop being a Mormon yet, though, that Mm -hmm. came later. It was just, I needed a break from, from church.
2: Okay, so you Man, you experience the shame, and uh, when we talk to people at SMCC, shame is a very common experience among many people um, here, and, and and not just in uh, in Mormonism, but, you know, religion in general uh, can be what someone recently told me is a shame train, you know? It's this ticket to shame, because shame is a powerful motivator. Right. You can get conformity out of people when you shame them, and because of how horrible shame feels tsunami of shame as you described it mm-hmm. um it's like i'll do anything to not feel that yeah. i just want it to stop what do you want me to do tell me how high to jump i'll do it i don't want the shame right mm-hmm. okay so you say i don't want to feel this way anymore i'm i'm not going to be attending this church but you you know you have this years and years of mormonism in your past so you still identify as that uh th- then what happened next i mean your story continues so yeah. what, what happens next
0: well it was uh it was a glorious few years, actually, of, of freedom. That yeah, <laughs> um, where I kind of stopped caring so much. Um, I was in a very toxic relationship um, in, when I was in high school, and uh, so that ended. So there was this this freedom of you know I'm not going to church on Sunday anymore, and I was just smoking weed and riding my longboard and drinking Mountain Dew all day. It was amazing, you know. And <laughs> I had I had. Uh, dropped out of high school, too, okay. um, and so that was a, you know, I wasn't a great student, and so there was some shame there, too, you know, because my oldest brother dropped out as well, and so, you know, it's sort of this, like, the Thompson kids just can't get it together, yeah. you know, and so...
2: Are your parents embarrassed? Is that, would that be a thing in the LDS church? Like, if your kids aren't doing well, you feel embarrassed as mom and dad? Like, I've, I've never asked them by that question, but... I couldn't say. I think okay. that,
0: if anything, they love all three of us, yeah. you know, and th- I think that it's mostly, you know, you want what's best for your kids... Mm-hmm and i've thought about this a lot but i think that if it's if anything they just you know when you are really invested in something that's important yeah. to you you want other people that you love to share in mm-hmm. that and so when when then when we didn't i think that it's it may not be embarrassment yeah. but it might be just hurt or maybe yeah. disappointed you know disappointment but even then it's hard to say sure, sure. cuz we've all kind of found our own ways now but mm-hmm. i think maybe at the time you know, I can remember seeing my friends who left the church and thinking things about them. But again, this was my own personal thoughts; it wasn't things people were saying to me. But I can imagine there was a level of everybody in the community was like, "You guys are not doing something right." You know, yeah. all three of your kids have bailed on this. Yeah. Um. So I I couldn't say if they felt embarrassed, but certainly a level of disappointment and and, and shame, maybe mm-hmm. even. I can. I, well, there's another story I have about a. a it's not my parents, but. A family member who, um, all of his children have left the church as well, and so and he did feel that way. Mm -hmm. He felt immense amounts of shame and a failure, Mm -hmm. and he failed to bring his children with him Mm -hmm. into the church. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he he actually ended up. I guess I shouldn't say it was kind of private, but Mm -hmm. but he ended it was was really rough for him to Mm -hmm. deal with that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. um, and so I can imagine that
2: maybe there was some level of that with my parents, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't say. Got it. All right, so you're in this. you know, time to, time to party, you know, you're free, you're free for Mm -hmm. a few years now. Uh, What do you think about God during those three years? Did you think about Him at all? Did you process things? Were you, you know, what what was that like?
0: No, I did not. I didn't think about God at all. It was, um, I was living in the moment, Mm -hmm. you know, I was about 18, 19, you know, all I did was just hang out and do nothing. Did there you have was, a job? Did you go? To- yeah, I had a job. I, had a, I I worked in call centers for years. Okay, but so I, I was a terrible employee, so I kept getting fired, or I would quit because I didn't want to deal with the responsibility. Yeah. So I'd get a couple checks, and then I would bounce out and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I did that for a long time. All right. But yeah, I didn't I didn't think about God at all. Um, I you know a lot of people I know will leave the church and they kind of abandon it completely and mm-hmm. go kind of full agnostic or atheist and things. I really didn't. I just was like, I was gonna, I'm just here to have a good time. You mm-hmm. know, that's all I really wanted to do. Um. So yeah, it was a really nice kind of era. I think back on that with rose-colored <laughs> glasses, maybe, but it was it was kind of nice. Yeah.
2: So what ended that era? What what happened at the end of those three years that yeah. co- that made a shift in you, man? I met my wife. Okay. So
0: um, when I was nineteen, she and I met, and we met through my older brother Ethan. So mm-hmm. he um, he was dating a girl at the time um, who knew my wife. So my wife is from Illinois, mm-hmm. and um, at one point my brother's girlfriend at the time had done a mission trip out there and it was the same trip that my wife was, was on. So they kind of knew each other and stayed in touch slightly. Um, so they knew of each other. And, uh, at one point my brother tells me about this girl. And so I look her up on Facebook, whatever this is, I'm not going to get into the meeting story because you know, whatever, but it, we ended up, we ended up talking, you know, mm-hmm. so we were long distance and stuff and she ended up asking me, you know, what do you think about God? And I remember saying something like, Yeah, God's cool. You know, whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't have anything against him, you know. Um, and she was at the time looking for a good Christian guy. And for some reason that cavalier response was enough for her to be like, He's the one. <laughs> he thinks God's cool. So <laughs> he thinks God's cool. Mom. Yeah, for so it was it was an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, I remember her asking me that and I I remember telling her, yeah, I grew up LDS. Um, and she thought I'm in LSD. It was a very interesting conversation. <laughs> She's like, well, you raised on hallucinogens. That's <laughs> interesting. Um, no, but it was, yeah. So she, she asked me that and that was the first time that it, God in any real way had kind of been reintroduced into my mind to thinking about mm-hmm. God because I had been, I would tell my brother, yeah, I'm still a Mormon. Like I'll go back at some point, you know? And it's weird. Mm-hmm. I think about why I didn't just renounce it. Um, and I think, I actually think of my time in the church as an abusive relationship. Mm. And I say that because not that I was being abused, you know, I wasn't being hurt in any real way. It's just loads of shame over the mm-hmm. course of many years. Um, and the psychology of, you know, why people stay in those kinds of relationships, right? And I kind of feel like I was in that. I was like mm-hmm. staying in an abusive relationship, even though I knew that it wasn't doing me any good. But I, but there's, there's fear, you know, uh, what will happen to me if I leave? Mm-hmm. You know, there's that. Um, there's, um, shame, like the idea that if I leave, then i am admitting that I've been living a lie this whole time. Um, and there's intimidation, you know, there's this, if I leave, you know, not only am I going to lose the respect of people, um, who I, whose opinion matters to me, um, but also, you know, I'll lose friends, Mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be people who, who just are done with me because of that. So that was, that was scary, um, but also the, the eternal implications of it. You know, I mentioned, you know, this eternal family portrait, and that I would now be removing myself from that, um, you know, that I'd be an apostate, you know, all these things. And so I was sort of still committed to going back because I didn't want to deal with any of that. Mm. Um, so, but what, it, what ended up happening was, because my wife asked me that question, um, I started asking my my older brother some questions, Um, and he was, at the time, going to um, a college group at the University of Utah called Ute Knighted. Ben Roby actually was leading the worship Mm -hmm. there. Uh, So I've actually had ties to South Mountain in some small way for for a very long time, Um, but uh, I decided that I would go, that I would give it a shot and see what it was all about. Um, and I remember it was a very weird experience. Um, I'd never seen worship before. I'd never seen, um, people lifting their hands, you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I'd never seen that. It was so unconventional for me that I was very confused, actually. Mm. It was, I told myself, I'm going to go, but I'm going to be, and this is the Mormon in me, I'm going to be very, pay very close attention to my feelings. And if it feels right, then I'll keep going, right? Right feelings can be deceiving, but obviously I felt good, mm-hmm. you know? I It was a good experience. Mm-hmm. Actually, I actually had a really nice time, but it was still so new. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was then that I was started doing a Bible study with my brother and one of his friends, and we started looking into who Jesus was. And, and this was, I wasn't, I was 19 years old when I found out that the Gospels are se- separate books, just different perspectives on the life of Jesus. Mm. I had no idea. Mm. I grew up, you know, you know, my whole life in a church that believed in the Bible, but I never knew that. Wow. Now that could be just the fact that I was a terrible student, but um, <laughs> I, d- I had no idea. So it was it was this illuminating era of my life where I was starting to learn about who Jesus was, um, and then and then asking questions about Mormonism and you know what was it about Mormonism that wasn't right, mm-hmm. right? And that was a scary process, but it was also so exciting. Mm. You know. I'd, I, I've heard people who um, really didn't want to know or have really avoided going down that path, but once I started getting in there, it was awesome. Mm. It felt good. It was almost like vindicating, mm. you know? It was almost like I could say, you know, I told you so or something like that. It was mm. like, I can move on now because I, I, I know that it, none of it was true anyway. And so all the fear and, you know, all these reasons why I wouldn't stay... I can leave now. And that actually put a lot of bitterness into my heart about mm-hmm. Mormons um, and Mormonism and the church and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where, where it started for me to start asking questions. And that was a wild Wow.
2: Ride. That's interesting. So the truth of the history behind the spiritual movement actually was what freed you from some of the shame and the uh, intimidation right. of this. Wow. That's an interesting thought. Um, so it's not like the next day you show up at South Mountain and, hey, no. hap- happy, what's the phrase? Happy ever after. <laughs> happily, ever, happily ever after. There you go. Yeah, the story ends Happily happy. ever after. Yeah. Happily ever after. All right. So you're, you're taking your first steps to explore biblical Christianity, doing some research. Mm-hmm. You're in a community. Yeah. You're exploring the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first time I explored the life of Jesus. I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. What's next, man? Um, I sort of, uh, it
0: was a very weird thing to start stepping into this, because it was a subculture for me,
1: right? Because mm.
0: Christianity, I think, in many ways in, the, in Utah is a subculture, you mm. know? It's it's not the... It's not mainstream to be a Christian, um, or I should say not LDS, you know? Mm-hmm. Bible-believing, non-denominational Christian. Um, and that was... I kind of... It's like the psychology of, of new, right? And so it was thrilling. Um, I dove deep into it. And when I look back on it, I don't know that I ever truly, at the time, was invested in who Jesus was, but what Mormonism wasn't. Mm -hmm. So it was something else. And it wasn't only that, it was this idea that, you know, people will do anything for somebody who will throw rocks at your enemies. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of in this place where I was, with people who were throwing rocks at my enemies, Mm. proverbial rocks. You know, they were able to poke holes in the Mormon story and and in the the Book of Mormon and all that kind of stuff, and so it was this thrilling ride down Mm. this, you know, kind of embittered way to live because I, you know, I had a lot of anger uh, after what I had experienced Mm. in the Mormon church, and that was, uh, you know, I did that for years um, where I was just, I would get into arguments with people on Facebook and, you know, all the things you shouldn't do, mm-hmm. because and that, that never actually works out. Um, but yeah, it, it, I at the time, I would have said I was a Christian, but I don't know that I can look back and say that I was then. Again, yeah. it was just something else. It was this new thing, and that felt really good. Well,
2: before we press record, we were talking about Christian subculture a little bit, mm. because it can be confusing. Am I feeling accepted and like I belong because I'm committed to the historicity of Jesus? Or am I just a part of this subculture because I just like feeling accepted and like I belong? Which one is it? And it can be very confusing, you know? I even see it with people who come to SMCC, is like now they feel embraced by a new community, and and that's great, that's fantastic that there's this new culture for them. But that doesn't translate, that doesn't equate to... Um, I'm fully delighted and fully devoted to who Christ is. There's a difference there. But yeah. that, and at SMCC, you can belong before you believe. So maybe you were experiencing some belonging mm-hmm. um, as you were processing your believing, yeah. you know? So you're on this ride. It's kind of thrilling. You, you're around this new community, this new approach. It's kind of countercultural, so to speak, True. which, uh, you know, you probably grew up on some punk rock music and stuff, which feels like this is cool. Mm-hmm. I like this. Um, then what? Um, well,
0: I started, uh, I had a friend whose family had a small church in Taylorsville, mm-hmm. um, and they were pastors, he was a pastor from, I believe they were, lived in Arkansas, and they had planted a church here, um, and so I was close with them. But, well, for, for a time, I had actually moved to Illinois, and I was living with, um, I was living in Illinois with a family there that was friends with my wife, mm-hmm. um, and I was living there for a few months, and it didn't really pan out and work, so I ended up moving back here. Um, and while I was away, my older brother started, um, partying and using drugs. Now I've been smoking marijuana for years, all throughout even, you know, kind of my, you know, jumping into Christianity, I continued to smoke marijuana. It was mostly because I was like, I'm free, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like I can do this. Um, you know, I still saved, you know, grace goes forever. He'll forgive me. (laughs) Exactly. We just talked about this on Sunday, actually, at,
2: at South Mountain, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I'm, I'm not going to go to hell for this, you know, that kind of those those thoughts and stuff. Um so anyways, yeah, I'm, I I when I get back, my older brother had been engaging in harder drugs. Mm-hmm. Um and going to raves and you know participating in that kind of a lifestyle. And I remember coming back and and thinking this is this is where it gets a little weird, but my wife and I said that we wouldn't do the we would do those drugs together.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: like we would do that together. That wouldn't be something that we did on our own, but we would do it. We would experience that together. You know, we were young, and I regret that stuff a lot mm-hmm. to this day. I don't. I, that was terrible of us to think that way, but it was. It was like, well, we'll try mushrooms together, and mm-hmm. we'll do all these things together. We'll experience it. But um, I have an addictive personality. You know, I get home and I start smoking marijuana immediately, and uh, we'll start smoking it again because I, you know, I stopped while I was living in Illinois. I was only there for th- like three months. Um, but then I started, um, doing ecstasy and doing other drugs. Um, and that was crazy, but I would still, I would still, I, I and I started leading worship at this church. So okay. I, was, I was leading worship and I was using these drugs. So like Saturday nights, I'd be using drugs. Sunday morning, I'd be getting up and leading a congregation in worship. Um, and, uh, it's a shameful thing to look back on, but that was, that's the kind of lifestyle I was living and I didn't feel any shame
2: about it at all. Mm. I was so- like... Well, you. But here's what's interesting. As I'm observing this, you're sort of back into the same place you were when you were a child growing up in Mormonism. It's like you have this second part of you. Mm-hmm. And so did it feel similar reflecting on it? Like I'm going the shame, but then here comes Sunday, and I'm putting on the face. Mm-hmm. Did it feel similar or did it feel different because you had kind of thought of grace and forgiveness differently now? Right. I, I
0: used grace and forgiveness as, like, an excuse. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like this, uh, like, an overcorrection. It was okay. like, well, I can do all this stuff still, and then I can still serve, you know? And, and, and that's where, you know, there are some um, triggers, mm-hmm. I suppose, that, like, when, when people tell me I can't participate in a church-related thing because I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. That freaks me out. Yeah. Right? And um, that is essentially what happened, ultimately, because they knew that I was... Well, one, my wife had ended up moving here, okay. and we were living together, and the pastor of the church said, you know, you can't... You, we mm-hmm. can't have you on stage leading mm-hmm. if you're sleeping in the same bed as your your girlfriend. Yeah. You know, that can't happen um and i was and and they knew that we were smoking and and that kind of stuff and so he was like i just you know you can't either you stop that stuff you know start making some changes Mm -hmm. um or we can't have you lead Mm -hmm. you can't lead anymore uh which i understand
2: Mm -hmm. you know at this point in my life i understand at the time though i was super upset about it so i I, you know i've had to have that conversation with people Mm -hmm. um i've sat in the other seat you know Mm -hmm. now you just said and at this point in your life you understand now why Mm -hmm. that conversation had to happen yeah for anybody who was just kind of got distracted and said, I want to hear his thought on that, mm. what what do you say now to that? You Because know? at South Mountain, we have to have those difficult conversations at times. Now, it's not about unworthy or not good enough. I don't want to use those terms in the conversation, so we come at it from a different way, because I think it's more nuanced than mm-hmm. that. But wh- what's your thoughts on this now? Well, I mean, I think about it Well, because it came up
0: again later on in my life, okay. and this is what Ben Roby said to me, uh, the worship pastor here. He said to me, you know, if somebody were to come to church for their first time, let's say that they are leaving LDS and the LDS mm-hmm. Faith, and they're coming here for the first time, and let's say they know me, mm-hmm. and they know the things that I do, mm-hmm. right? And I'm on stage, and I'm and I'm playing the guitar, or I'm singing or leading a song or something— well, that's going to reduce the credibility of this institution, mm-hmm. right? It's going to reduce the credibility of Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. It's going to reduce their ability to feel like they can come here. Mm-hmm. If they're going to think, oh, well, you'll just put anybody on stage, then mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with this, mm-hmm. you know? And so looking back on it now, even if that's a, a small thing, mm-hmm. it's still important, right? Yeah. I don't want I don't want to
2: do anything that's going to push somebody out the door. Mm-hmm. And here's, he, here's how I've been thinking about it recently in this conversation, is I want what's best for... Adam Thompson, I want what's best for anybody who's leading on our stage or whatever. And um, if if their lifestyle is actually robbing them from delight in the gospel, and yet we're putting them on stage to subtly hide what they're doing, and mm-hmm. we're actually putting them into a position to experience what you felt, which is the shame and the guilt, and the double life, and the, you know, I'm hiding these things in the shadows of my life. I'm actually not doing you. It's actually unloving to put Adam Thompson into that position. Right. Because down the road, there's all the, uh, it's all this jumbled mess inside of our souls of uh, performance trap, where we love the praise of "You sounded great on when you led that song," or "You have a mm. great voice," or, mm. and but behind the curtains, you know that you got some shame going on. That is damaging to people, and I don't want to put anybody into a position where they're going to be damaged because of the way we. Uh, allowed them to lead so like yeah. i love people too much to not have that conversation with them you right. know that's that's one of the ways i've been thinking about this recently yeah. so sorry to jump in but that's no, cool um but it's a complicated situation it's hard because you're looking at somebody
0: who may be coming out of a mormon background oh. and that kind of idea of like you and they may and you may not implicitly say you're not good enough right but you are saying what you're doing is not something that we yep
2: approve of yeah and, right? and and how, regardless of how I say it, right? Often that's how they hear it. Exactly. And um, I I have more times in my in my journey here, my time here at SMCC over the last almost six years, where it backfired than when it went well. Right. There's more times where this went badly. The conversation mm-hmm. did not end the way I would have hoped, um, and it's because. It's, it's I mean, I'm not great with words always. It's hard to have the conversation, but it's also hard for another person to have the conversation because of the uh, you trigger, I guess, is the right. word you use. Well,
0: and I mean, it's even just like an exposure. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm exposing a flaw in you, and that flaw is actually going to prevent you from doing something that you really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Now, I have my reasons for why you can't do it <laughs> or mm-hmm. why I'm going to ask you not to, but that doesn't make it hurt. Less mm-hmm. so, I think that you know, defensiveness tends to be kind of the yeah, default position. Yeah. You know, it's, it's harder to be like, You're right, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: you're right, yeah, I'll stop doing the thing <laughs> I love doing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so you have a hard conversation with the pastor. Are you yeah. d- you leave that church? We do, yeah, yeah,
0: we left the church. Um, we were living in a house in Sandy, mm-hmm. and um doing drugs and partying and doing all that kind of stuff. And I got introduced to Adderall, which is, um, an ADHD medication. It's an amphetamine. Um, and so I was working and using that mm-hmm. all, every day. Um, it was a very interesting time. Um, but I, you know, I was doing that for a long time and my wife and I, um, I- essentially what ended up happening was by the end of the summer of 2011, um, my older brother was growing a pot plant in his basement and selling acid. And my wife and I, we sold weed for a little while, which didn't work out very well. I wanted to smoke it, she wanted to sell it. Um, that's not a great business partnership. Um, but she, yeah, that, and so essentially what ended up happening is that we got raided by the cops. Wow. Mm. Um, and that was a wild experience. Um, I had gotten home from work and I was just at home and we were in my bedroom. A few of our friends were in there and somebody um, burst through the door and we thought it was just one of our friends just joking around, you know, because they were yelling police. We're like, okay, sure it is. I go out there and there's eight or nine cops with, you know, semi-automatic weapons just walking into the... It was crazy. It was one of the scariest experiences of my entire life. They handcuffed all of us. Um... And sent my brother to jail that night. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it was from that point forward that my wife and I, we were still dating at the time, but we were like, we have to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't be here anymore because now we're being watched. And they, they interviewed each one of us and said, you know, you got neighbors. You know, they're not stupid. Mm-hmm. You guys are on your roof smoking weed. Like... Mm-hmm we know stuff's going on here and they had tapped my brother's phone cause he was selling acid and that's a federal offense, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And so there was many reasons why all of us should have gone to jail that night, mm-hmm. but just,
1: he did. And so he kind of took the bullet for us. That wow. was
0: seven, eight years ago. now. Wow.
1: So w- there's a lot that we've been able to talk through and, and yet there's still so much more that I think is to your story. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, there's, there's so much more to, to go through. Um, but I think what we're going to do is go ahead and do uh, kind of a split episode. So we've got, you know, a section that we just went through and, then really would like to invite people back next week to hear just the remainder of your story and, and just kind of all this comes full circle. So, um, that sounds good to you, Eric. We'll just have people come back next week. Yeah, I'm
2: on pins and needles because I mean, (laughs) I I, I know you now and, Mm -hmm. uh, who, who you are now and, and where life is now is miles from where you just left off. So I am so excited for part two of this to see oh, yeah. how we get to, to Adam today. Adam and Smay today. That's mm-hmm. your wife's name. Yep. So, um, Awesome. Adam, yeah, let's wrap this up and then we'll be back next week.
1: Yeah, everyone, if you just want to tune in next week, we'll, we'll give a part two to this and be able to hear kind of the, the finish of, of Adam Thompson's story. And so hope that you'll stay subscribed and uh, we'll see you next week.
0: Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe, give us a rating, or share with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit our website at smccutah.org. Thanks again for trusting us with your time, and we hope to have you back again soon.